series on the promises of God, and we've been looking at all kinds of different topics in regard to that pro- the various promises. There's, there's hundreds of promises that we can look at throughout Scripture, and I hope as you've been going through your Bible reading, you've been jotting down some of those. And um, uh, we're in tonight uh, sort of a takeoff from the mor- this morning's message. We were looking this morning at the time of the Judges, out of Judges chapter 6, and we were looking at how sin had come back into the nation, into the hearts of the people, and then into the nation, and caused them to go back into committing evil. And we talked at length about sin and about various really practical ways that we can, um, well, not have sin reign in our, in our bodies, in our uh, lives. And one of those was a way of escape, that God provides a way of escape and looking for a way of escape. And that's a promise that we can camp on. So I wanted to pick up on that a little bit more tonight and uh, just look at that some more. But it was C.S. Lewis that said this. He said, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. And, and that's true, isn't it? Like, apart from the power of Christ on our lives, it is hard to be good. Let's be real. And as I said this morning, you know, you turn over a new leaf and you find out the other side's as rotten as it was, you know, on you know, the, the side you turned, right? It's the way it is. And we need not just uh, changes in our habits and those kind of things or our, our psyche, but we actually need a change of heart. And when we sang that song, he lives, right? The greatest evidence that he lives is that he lives within my heart. And I can sing that with all assurance tonight, knowing that when I was introduced to the Savior and he came into my life and sealed me onto the day of redemption, there was a change that went on inside Jack Karen. And for 35 years now, as I've walked with the Lord, I realize, God, you are the one that you're in the process of that change. Now, I would also like to say that I wish I didn't have any temptations since then and, and didn't commit any sin. I, you know, I would say, all right, we got saved, and now we walk in perfection, right? Uh, I haven't met anybody here in this life that has walked in perfection. And if there's somebody you meet that claims that, ask their wife, you know, stomp on their toe, see how perfect they are. I don't know. There's things like that. But, but this idea of walking victorious over sin is something that the scriptures teach us. And the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10.13, Paul says this, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And we're going to look at this verse here tonight and look at um, some things out of that. Lord, we are grateful again that we can come to you. And look at these scriptures, and tonight we ask that you would just show us from the Word of God. And you'd show us, Lord, how to flee sin, and knowing also that there is a way of escape, if we will look for it, and there's also a way to bear it. And so teach us tonight, and may your Holy Spirit have his way, in Jesus' name, amen. The first thing, and I think it's pretty clear in scripture, is that we're born in sin, aren't we? Uh, actually, in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, it says, In you he made alive. He's referring to believers. That's why he says you who he made alive, right? That's not the world of, of uh, you know, 
the unregenerate, but it's those that are the regenerate or those who have been brought to life, being born again. He says, who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's past tense. That was our condition before God and really before each other as well. We were dead in trespasses and sins. In other words, there wasn't anything I could do, no good works, nothing that could ever make me alive unto God. And it doesn't mean you were physically dead walking around like zombies, but spiritually speaking, there was nothing we could regenerate in ourselves for new life. Nothing. And he goes, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. And what Paul writes here is just a reminder that we came out of a world of sin and we were part of that world as sinners and Christ has made us alive and he doesn't want us walking in that old way. It doesn't mean you can't because he still gives us a, a, a will and that will can exercise itself and you know and I know because I have to live with it and I know it's easy to make those wrong choices of sin if we let it and God has made every way for us to escape. And I just want to reiterate that tonight. Temptation is common to all Christians. It's a common experience. And that's what he says in that text, that there isn't any temptation that isn't common or isn't, you know, universally, you can paraphrasing, universally experienced. All the temptations you face, others have, t- have faced as well. Your Temptations may be different, and they may even be temptations that change as the years go. I think when I was um, younger and a new Christian, there were certain temptations in my life that were different than they are now that I'm in my 50s. And I see uh, in, in some, like my father-in-law and I were talking a couple days ago, yesterday you were over, and we were talking, and, and again, he reiterated, you know, he's in his late 70s, and, and he's saying, wow, you know, there are things now that just make it so hard in his life to, to get around and those things that he was so used to. And there's a different area of temptation in his life as he finds his body weakening and the temptations of sin from, from within in that way. Uh, he didn't go into all that part of it, but we were just talking about that. And, and there are different temptations that we have throughout life, but they're not uncommon. And what do we think about that? Well... Don't just leave it there. Don't just park yourself there and say, well, everybody is tempted and some are going into sin, so I might as well just join them. That's, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible instead implores us to uh, go God's way, the way of righteousness, and there's a way of escape. And it's, it's through Jesus Christ. It's through him. It's uh, through the Spirit of God yielding our members over to him. This verse also reminds us that God will not allow you to be put in a situation where you must give in to sin. Uh, I think it's easy to blame. Um, I'm, we're all good at blaming, making an excuse, that kind of stuff. When I went in the military, that was one of the first things you learn is you don't make excuses. I don't know, Joe, you had that probably when you were in the Marines. You don't say, well, uh, drill sergeant or, or drill instructor, you know, well, sir, I, I didn't, you know... You, you, you can't make excuses. There was no excuse. If you messed up, you messed up. And I think as Christians, sometimes we just have to stop making excuses and realize that 
God did not put you in that situation for you to fail. Nor did the devil come and make you do it. It's easy to say the devil made me do it. And yes, he's out there and he will try to make you do all kinds of bad things and sin from within and without. But you can't lay all blame on him. Because God has made a way of escape. And he will not put us in a situation where we cannot bear it or escape it. And that's the third point is that God's way out does not necessarily remove you from temptation. I wish it was like that. Let's be real. Uh, I, I just wish sometimes that like, you know, when you, you uh, got saved, all of a sudden those <clears throat> temptations of whatever they might be, you know, just were removed from your heart. <clears throat> I, you know, I've, I've said that before. You're walking along and you see a pretty woman. And you say, Lord, why do you make women so pretty? You know, you know, those are things. God made women pretty. He did that so that men would be attracted to them and all that. But if men are going to just lust after women and going after women that have no reason or right to be, you know, uh, you know, it's different when you're married and you're with your wife and all that. But there's that unhealthy attraction of just sexual lust that's everywhere, right? It's everywhere. And it's just causing great emptiness and shallow relationships and all those things and ultimately hindering people from even coming to the Lord because things are so messed up. And it's easy just to say, oh, I, you know, God is just going to remove that. No, he won't. There are struggles people will have if it's that area or wherever throughout their life and you have to find ways of escape and ways of bearing it as well. Anyways, those are some of the things. Well, 1 Peter 5, 8, we quoted this verse this morning be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and the i like what ray pritchard says on this and and he says that um you're on the menu just so you know you're on the menu and that's exactly what satan has on his menu you go down his menu and there you are and there's that appetizer, and that's somebody else. And then there's, and there's dessert. You know, He's looking out there, seeking whom he may devour. And don't get away from that uh, understanding of that one thought about your enemy. Now, I don't think you need to go out and study everything about your enemy, but you do need to know how your enemy acts and reacts, right? And so I think it's important. The, the term they would use... Uh, in like military tactic, tactics would be a forward-leaning defense. In other words, don't just sit back and let the enemy come to you, but go forward until you know, okay, in the sense that you're, you're preparing ahead before the enemy comes. Your forward-leaning defense. And that's what we're to do. We're not to run out there and look for the devil. He, he'll show up, no problem, without you looking for him. That isn't a ministry or a spiritual gift, by the way, anywhere in Scripture. There are people that claim they have spiritual gifts about seeking out demons and seeking out whatever. And I just say this, I don't see that in Scripture. All the pattern in Scripture was demonic activity came to the messengers then came to people in that way. And I find that in reality as well. If you are busy about the Lord's work, you can bet the devil will oppose you. And he is looking to devour you in the process. But be forward leaning. Know that he's ready to come and pounce and be vigilant, right? Another version says it this way. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. 
He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. <clears throat> and as I said, he doesn't often come as the, the, the lion, so to speak, but he might come as a little fluffy cat <laughs> that sits you know, on your lap and you, you, you brush its hair and all that. And as I said this morning, I think all cats in their heart they're lions, and they would like to eat you, but the only difference between a lion and a house cat is a house cat probably can't eat you, you know, because you're too big and you probably would fight back. But, but they all have that mentality of a cat. They're, they're always looking, and they're prowling, and they're, you know, predators. <clears throat> I know, you have a sweet cat. Yours isn't like mine, but <clears throat> I just leave it there with that. But there are those things that are temptations and sometimes you just get caught up in them and we should be forward linking, uh, looking and making sure that we, we know what we're about to encounter or getting into in those kind of areas and making a, a defensive stand. And that's what I'm, I'm pointing out with that. There's a, a plant that grows here in Maine is actually about 150 different species of sundews Sundews are just these little <clears throat> uh, plants. You'll see them sometimes around bogs. I've seen them in the woods. They're, they're not really super common, I guess, if I was looking for them more, maybe. But they, some of your fly traps, Venus fly traps, fall in that family of sundews. And they're just these little, they look like just little plants with little sticky hairs on them. And as you look at them, you know, you think, oh, that's, that's an interesting plant. Look at that. It looks like it has dew on it. And uh, it must glisten in the sun. That's probably where it got, to, got its name. And um, in, in Maine here, we have the sundew. And it's on every continent except for Antarctica. So there's all kinds of different ones. But the sundews, and in particular, they, they are carnivorous plants. Now, I'd never get a plant that can eat something, you know, eat you. But that's what they do. They, um, they won't eat people. They're too little and you'll fight back. But... Flies, right? I hope, right? I hope, anyways. Maybe you won't. Uh, you just sit there and let the thing eat you eventually. Uh, but flies like the little sticky, gooey, whatever is on them, and they land on them. And then almost like you can watch it, actually. When the fly lands, it hits those little hairs, and the plant just reacts, and it closes up like this and just wraps up around, and then that fly becomes a long lunch. A probably cruel way to go for the fly because it's a slow process but understand this that our enemy he's like a lion you know nobody would run out and say i'm going to throw myself to the lions but but so often it's much more subtle it's more like the sundew you know and all of a sudden you're the fly who's there and you're like how did i get here and i'm wrapped up in this and stuck and just know that again and we talked about this this morning repentance is the answer always Wherever you are, you find for the Christian, we can repent. And there's no place so far that you can run from the Lord or go from the Lord where you cannot repent from that as a believer. It's that simple. There's some that would say, no, I've gone too far. I've maybe committed the unpardonable sin. I think the only thing that's unpardonable is the sin of rejection. If you truly rejected the Lord for salvation, there is no other thing that can be done. It's unpardonable. And I think that's really what... Uh, is referred to really is something that's unpardonable but for the christian who's been saved as far as you can run from the lord in sin and and bad as you can go he still will let you return the the picture of the prodigal right who comes back 
And you may have wasted years. You may have wasted uh, all kinds of money in the process and had a lot of hurts. But God is still there as a gracious and merciful God. But we need to adopt a warfare mentality. And I want to just, you know, if you want to look at these points I have, I don't have an outline for them, but um, we need to adopt a warfare mentality. And I think um, in the process of that, I think one of the greatest tools that Satan uses, and my own heart uses against me too, and the world uses, is the tool of discouragement. In other words, just lay down your weapons. You, you shouldn't be in the fight anymore. Give up. And I, I think that's sometimes the, the greatest tool that can be used for that. Uh, Shelby Foote, who is a historian, wrote lots of books on the Civil War. He's an expert on the Civil War and other areas of history as well. But he told in one of his books of an account of a, of a soldier who was wounded in battle during the Civil War, and his commander said to him, go back to the rear and, you know, take yourself out of the battle, all that, but go back to the rear. And um, the battle began to get even more heated, and all of a sudden this wounded soldier was back there on the front, and his commander saw him and said, I told you to go back to the rear. And he said, there's no battle back at the rear. There ain't no battle in the rear. And, you know, that soldier had it right. He had adopted a mentality of war, and he was not going to take himself out of the battle so long as he could still fight. And my friends, it, don't take yourself out of the battle, even though it seems like sometimes you're losing. Don't do it. Repent. Go back and do those things. Discouragement is a big one. And there's lots of verses that counter that, aren't there? Over and over and over again throughout the Bible, there's... I, I like to Google sometimes uh, themes of verses, you know, and I'll, I'll Google, uh, and not everything on Google is bad, you know. So I, I Googled uh, the other day uh, verses on encouragement, and boom, the first thing that pops up, 100 verses on encouragement. And the, I went down through them like, yeah, there's 100 verses right there. I didn't have to even open up my paper Bible and search for them. They were all right there for me. And the Word of God is is like that and and by the way don't just use google right as your devotion time (laughs) but use the word of god that's the point because there's all kinds of verses how about joshua chapter 1 verse 9 have i not commanded you be strong and of a good courage do not be afraid nor be dismayed discouraged for the lord your god is with you wherever you go joshua needed to hear that remember moses had just died Joshua is the next man in charge. Joshua's not a young man. He's in his 80s. Imagine when you're in your 80s and God says, now you're, gonna, now you're ready for leading. Like, what? I, I hope I'm not at that age. I don't know. You know, I mean, it's hard enough now. But sometimes God has the best for us when we're older. Joshua had that. And he had a greater ministry when he was older, our leadership ministry. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of a good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, Jesus, how about Jesus? He was ready to be crucified. He had told his disciples that he was, he was going to be going away. That was pretty discouraging. Because really, everything in their life was centered around Jesus. And now Jesus says, 
I'm not going to be with you. People are going to kill me. And they didn't understand it and all that stuff. In John chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus goes right back and says, don't be discouraged. Don't take yourself out of the battle. Don't stop. And over and over again, they tried to, didn't they? And yet, I think the lives of the apostles would clearly indicate from the historical record that they didn't take themselves out of the battle, even though others uh, tried to and and snuffed their lives out, but they, they finished their course. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And you guys, this is the point. Whose voice are you listening to? It's so easy to listen to everything the world's throwing at us. Um, turn on the news, right? And, and some can be, and I've been this way off and on in my life, is just news junkie. Watch the same news channel, whatever, You hear the same bad news all day long if you let it. And you know what? It changes the way you focus and see things. And all of a sudden, everything is just bad and scary and fearful. And you're not in the battle. You're worried. You're listening to the wrong voice. You're watching the wrong person. World War II and, you know, other wars as well. See, one of the great things the enemy has at his disposal is propaganda, right? Tokyo Rose. This was actually Tokyo Rose, all right? A woman, it was a Japanese-American woman who went back to Japan, and she was used by um, the, her home country of Japan to be the voice in English of, of the Japanese propaganda arm. And she, her voice, along with others, they were always females, um, they had these nice you know radio voices and personalities and and over the radio broadcasts they would uh, broadcast throughout the pacific basically news from tokyo rose and that's the americans called her and as they you know the servicemen and women and you know they were on the ships and they were in various islands and all of that they would turn on their radios and listen to tokyo rose and she would talk about how terrible the americans were doing and the allied forces and how the, the losses, and she would also talk about um, where their ships were, and they weren't supposed to know where they were, and they would sometimes know. And, and then she would play a nice song that was a song being played in America on the dance floors in America. And, and then she would say, and your wives and your girls are out dancing with some other man tonight. And, and you know, if you listen to her over and over, you get, get pretty discouraged. But that was the intention. And, and some of the men weren't allowed to listen to her, you know, like aboard ship. They wouldn't do that. Sometimes they would. Um, but you have to be careful with who you're listening to. Because, by the way, Tokyo Rose and the Japanese Empire did not win. All right? And I'm glad that not everybody was just listening to her and her dictates. Satan is the same way. He is subtle and he's there. And if he can discourage you with your relationship with your wife... Your husband, your coworker, your brother and sister here at church, uh, somebody you know in your family—I mean, you name it—he's able to do that, or he's able to just say, "Hey, you're not going to win," and you start believing it. And I just say, "We are going to win." The Bible talks about that warfare mentality, and and this I hope is just practical, really. Um, 
when Paul writes, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, that's part of our, our armament. That's part of the uniform of a Christian, spiritual uniform, that we're to put on the armor of God. I will just say this, there's a lot of naked Christians walking around and sitting in churches and everywhere else. Don't leave home without your armor. You know, I think about that. I was talking to a police officer not long ago um, who had been involved in a, a use of force. And when it happened, he wasn't with his equipment and all that. And, and he, he got involved in, in something and he didn't even have his ballistic vest or anything like that. And afterwards, he was like, wow, how'd that happen? You know, I mean, he, I'm glad he did what he's supposed to. He, did, he ran towards danger. He had to. But, you know... In hindsight, it's much better to be prepared for those things. And I'm not casting any dispersion on that man because the situation wouldn't allow him to do that. He instead chose to put himself in danger. And thankfully, there was no loss of life. But I I, I think about that. I'm like, you know, it's so easy sometimes to find ourselves in a situation that we could have prepared for spiritually and we aren't. When the devil shows up, it isn't the time to say, hold on, where's my daily bread? You know, where's my, my Bible reading? Where am I supposed to be now? Oh, I'm still in Genesis and it's December. You know, it, it, that doesn't work that way. It, it's when you, you know, we need to be having it now. And by the way, this book in its print form, I truly believe is, is a privilege to have it. Amen. But it's not always at our disposal, is it, in, in the form that we have it. Like, there's times when you stand and it has to come out of your mind and your heart. And you have to quote the scriptures. That means engage in it now and memorize it. When we were in, uh, and I talked to Zena about this too, from their days in the Soviet Union. One of the great things uh, that I learned from believers who were there during that time, that they had such depth in the scriptures if especially of memorizing scripture and uh, that whole part of the world they were just really good at memorizing things i mean they would memorize poems and songs and every i mean it was really neat and they could quote them and every week at church we would have kids stand up and they would quote vast amounts of scripture and i was like wow and, you know, it came from days when they didn't have a Bible readily available. And they might only have one copy among a few families or a whole congregation. And sometimes they didn't even have the whole Bible. They would just have portions of it. And because it was something to be so highly valued and something that could be so easily taken from them, they didn't want to have it all in one place. So they would spread it out in pieces. So you might have the book of Job, and you might have Psalms, and you might have uh, John's gospel, and Revelation over here, and, and they were required to memorize that portion they had. And then if it was ever taken from them, they could come together and rewrite it, if they had to. Think about that. That breaks my heart. Because I have never done that in my life as a Christian. I haven't had to. I suppose if I had to, I would. I don't feel necessarily guilty about it or anything like that. I just think that has to go in your heart when you memorize scripture. 
That's part of the armor of God. The sword of the Spirit, right? How about prayer? Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. One of the great tools of our warfare is prayer. And that's that forward-looking defense. Getting down in our prayer closet, wherever it is, and saying, Lord, I'm preparing for the day of battle. And that battle is a lifetime. It's never ending on this earth. I have to tell you that. I'm sorry. There's never a time you can just really take leave and say, okay, Satan, I've got the next three weeks off. Leave me alone. No, that's the time he's going to attack you. You're in the army. You're in the core, right? Uh, you know, the Lord's army in that way. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Having done all to stand. That is that idea of, of making your foxhole improved every day. That's what you know. we used to say. If you park yourself long enough. I was in the cavalry. We didn't stop very much because then we became a target. So we never did. We just were always moving. But a few occasions when we did have to stop and dig in, you dug in and then you improved it. And then you continued to improve it so long as you were there. And you always were doing that. And as a Christian, I learned that. That you have to every day say, all right, how can I improve my spiritual walk? What's my foxhole look like today? Is it a mess? Where's your your weapon? You know, is it even on your mind today? You know, those kind of things. 2 Timothy 2, 3. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Paul writes that to Timothy and he says, Timothy, you're a pastor, you're a young pastor, and you're also a soldier of Christ. That's simple. And he likens the Christian life and in this case also as a pastor, you're in a battle. And that's what you're to do. Later, he talks about a student, a workman, and a farmer, and you know the images that are there that you can draw from life around us, and there's so much involved in that. Confess Christ openly. That's another one. So in other words, adopt a, a, a warfare mentality, but confess Christ openly. Draw the line in the sand right away. That sometimes is the easiest way to avoid getting into places we shouldn't be or sin in particular. Um, When I've done that in my life, and there's been lots of times I've had those times where somebody comes up to you and says, hey, let's go do this. And you stop and you say, I'm a Christian. And I'll tell you what, it's helped me over the years to learn to do that early on I remember landing in Germany and I thought I'm in big trouble there because I know everybody goes to Germany to drink beer and, you know, for the military people. And I was worried I was going to fall back into all that stuff. And and I I thought, oh, no, nobody's going to ever know. And my pastor's never going to find all those kind of things. And somebody came up to me and um, offered me something. And I, I said, I'm a Christian. And you know what? That put a line in the sand. And that helped me later when there were times where I thought, oh, I've messed up my testimony and all that. And I had someone remind me I'm a Christian. 
And I'm like, yep, I painted myself in that corner. And he was in my corner still, the Lord. And I'm so thankful for that. And I don't care, you know, you just go back, put that line in the sand. I'm not letting you cross this, Jack. (laughs) This is your territory. And I think we need to do that, my friends. Jesus says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I also I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Apart from all the theological ramifications of that verse and you know, all that stuff, I've had people explain things away of eternal security and that and all that, and that's not what the point is here. The point here is holding fast a confession before the Lord. I'm a Christian. I'm his. And you know what? He confesses before God. Yes, he's mine. And rest in that. Rest in that fact. Ephesians 5.18. I love this. And this is the third thing. You have confess the Lord, right? And get a mentality of, of warfare. But the third thing is sing. Sing. Now you might not have a voice that can sing very well. And you might be the only audience. But sing. We're, we're told to do that. And I tell you when I said this tonight. When we sang that song he lives. I hope that sticks in your head. I hope in the middle of the night. When the little doubts creep in. Or, or whenever the time of the day. Things like that. And you can say he lives. And you can maybe sing a little bit of that song. I don't know. It might be another song that's in your mind. But the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 5. This is prior to the putting on of the armor, that section. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for All things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. You know what I love about that? Hear that little passage, you know, that little section. He talks about part of the armament that really is available to all of us as well, which is the song in our heart. There's a a way of doing that. And again, I go back to times when I was overseas and... And, you know, in Ukraine in particular, this always stood out. When we were there, I found that they were a very publicly, a very quiet society. I mean, there was a noisy buses and everything, you know, cars and all that. But, but people didn't get very boisterous. It was rare to hear kids yelling across the playground or anything. Or you could even get on a bus filled with people or a metro train filled with, with people and not hear anybody speaking. Except a couple different people's three that I could think of the drunks the drunks would sing and they'd have their old drunk songs and they would be walking down the street whatever you know I couldn't understand like Ukrainian very well anyways and you know when they're drunk it's even worse and and I was I was learning Russian at the time and I was like oh boy I can't even understand what they're saying but I knew they were drunk and then there were those that were like musicians out there trying to make a buck and they would sing and they would sit there, you know, with their guitar or some kind of instrument and, and they would want coins or, or whatever and, and they were good singers. And, and then the third group were Christians. And um, some of my most favorite memories were Christians gathered to sing. 
when nobody else was singing, you know? I remember, I remember Christmas of 1999. I was in Kiev, Ukraine. We had just been there less than two months. And I remember getting invited with a group of Ukrainians and, and some American missionaries, and we went down into the metro platform at Puznaki in uh, the Puznaki district. And during rush hour, about every minute and a half to two minutes, a train was coming in. I mean, it was like that. And uh, you'd have literally hundreds of people getting off. They'd all get off, train would leave, and another one would come in. And we were on this great big platform and reverberating on the underground. You know, the sounds, acoustics were just amazing. And they were singing Christmas carols in uh, Russian and in Ukrainian. And this normally very busy hustle and bustle of people going home and getting out of work or whatever they were doing to get off the trains, they were getting off and they were stopping. And it got so crowded on that platform as people were listening to others sing. And another favorite memory was at Easter. And early in Easter, we had Easter services. We went outside. It was a sunny, sunny day. And we were in this neighborhood in Kiev with all these apartment buildings. And we were standing there and as a church, several hundred people singing Christmas carol, uh, no, Christmas Easter hymns. And that was reverberating off the buildings. And people were out on their balconies listening. Hundreds of them. I looked around. I'm like, this is amazing. And then the pastor would preach a message about the resurrection. Christos vas Chris. Right? And he is risen. Christ is risen. And I remember like, just being a witness to that. Saying, wow. Then one night we had our youth group. And the, we had a youth group um, that would come to our apartment. There was probably 25 of them at the, the height of it, you know, and the whole group. They loved to come. And they would have like a two-hour Bible study. I mean, they just loved it. And then they would get singing. And they're very music, musical, like everybody plays something. They could hand a guitar to somebody, they could play it. And you hand it to this guy, he could play it. And they're just like that. And they were singing, and I'm just listening and saying, wow, I wish I could sing what they could do, you know, do like what they do. And I watched them as they left our building, and they went outside, and it was probably 9.30 at night, dark, quiet, and I could hear them singing all the way out of the neighborhood, you know, together. And I said, Lord, only you can put a song in somebody's heart that is so powerful. God, thank you for that. And, you know, it's the rallying together... And the one another's part. Look at this, verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. And I guess that would be the last point. Is that, you know, memorizing scriptures in there, that's for sure, and songs. But the one another's, that's together. You see, it's like flying in formation, right? Uh, like gathering here tonight, we're together. And it's a lot easier to go through things together than it is alone. Actually... You never want to really be alone in the sense of trying to fight off sin in your life or, or Satan or the world. It's much easier when you can stand with another Christian or a whole group of Christians. Of course, the Lord himself stands with us. Sometimes he's the only one that will. You know, I think of Paul many times when he was like in Corinth and he's alone at night. And the Lord shows up and says, fear not. Fear not. Tells them I have a lot of people in this city. Wow. You know, I, I think sometimes only Christ stands with us. But how great it is when his followers also can do that. There's so many of those scriptures about the one and others, right? 
I mean, the very first one, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. <laughs> what does he do? He makes him a helper. Man was never intended to be alone. Romans 12, 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfast in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality that sentence is a long run-on sentence but that is all about one another's together being together what a great great thing hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 but exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you are be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin do you see that verse exhort one another daily Not just once a week, but daily. We need to be really pushing ourselves along in that. And he says, while it is called today. And that is true. It needs to be today. Tomorrow never gets here. And yesterday will never be again. It's today you live. And it's today you you fight for the Lord in that sense of spiritual fight. It is that. And there's lots of verses on the one and others. You can look them through and do that. I was thinking about songs and singing, and, and uh, I had come across um, uh, this group about, I don't know, a couple of years ago. I think Vinny and Karen, you, you've seen uh, this group as well, um, singing a song in Russian. And I almost think they are from Ukraine, if I can remember correct, uh, the family that's here. But we're going to play that right now, see if it'll play. <laughs> 